Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. question that's the question how can we make a difference in the world that's what we love to talk about here on uh, blog talk radio at the catch and uh today tonight our our uh guest is uh definitely going to tickle our thinking in a heavy sort of way um we had we had Terry on with us about a year ago. I've known Terry for many years. Um, I actually met him first, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, involved with the Christian Music Seminar in, the, in Estes Park. And he was writing for uh, uh, religion, the religion columns in, uh, in uh, Rocky Mountain News. And, and then he's continued to do that for all those years since um, I just discovered he had a 34 year old anniversary um, just recently for his column. He writes for syndicated now uh, news all over the, all over the world, but it's probably uh, safe to say that he's one of the few people I know um, that as a Christian uh, is a journalist that writes about faith and religion, but mostly writes that about that in the secular culture. So what an amazing challenge he has had um, his whole career. So we are very fortunate to have uh, Terry Mattingly back with us again. And uh, we're going to talk especially about journalism and how what what do journalists do and what do we do in terms of a polarized reality in our world today? So, Terry, welcome back to Blog Talk Radio. Glad to glad to be here and you and I will strive not to turn this into a conversation about acoustic guitars. <laughs> that tempta- that temptation always looms whenever the two of us talk. So quick, <laughs> head us off somewhere else. Okay, okay. Well, I have uh, been recently exposed to uh, your article about uh, the evolving uh, the the evolving religion of religion of journalism. What a great title! And uh, Terry, you start that whole column off with uh, picking that favorite phrase on the front of the New York Times, uh, probably since its beginning, uh, all the news that's fit to print. And you said, however, today, that most truly reads all the news that fits. Explain explain that, because that says a lot. Well, 
Leah, what I'm trying to express there, and the New York Times is not alone in this, the entire world of hard news coverage has been affected by what's happened in the last couple of decades. But basically, the big idea of this essay, which I think is the most important thing I've written in maybe 40 years, ever since the original article I wrote on why the press doesn't cover religion, which ran like in 1983 in the publication The Quill. I, uh, the, the big idea of this piece is that the Internet has changed the business model for journalism. That once upon a time when you were trying to write publish newspapers that contain grocery store ads and car ads and furniture ads and clothing ads, stuff that was, all these ads are aimed at everybody, a kind of a broad net of journalism and financing. The Internet has changed everything into a world of people living in their own little digital concrete silos of information, where basically they're reading people who exist to tell them what they already think and what they already believe. And this is just as true on the left as it is on the right. Sometimes it gets confusing because the left has been way more interested in journalism for decades than Uh cultural conservatives. That's been the other half of my life, trying to talk to to Christian colleges and universities about the need to have real journalism programs. But the cut to the chase, we live in an era right now where big tech, the top four to five tech powers, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, YouTube, you know, all of these people, they now get about 80% of the advertising revenue on the Internet those companies alone Hmm. and try to run a local newspaper without ad, you know, ad revenue for the most part. And what we've ended up with is publications are having to please the people who are willing to pay money for their content. And in the South, we have a phrase for that. It's called preaching to the choir. (laughs) And you don't want to say anything that upsets your choir, especially if they are, writing you checks. And we live in an era right now where it makes financial sense to publish biased journalism. Yeah. Because you have to bias your coverage to please your readers. And this works just as well at MSNBC as it works at Fox News. Yeah. The the problem is when you cross over and you start talking about how some of this applies to institutions as powerful as the Associated Press, National Public Radio, yeah, the New York Times, obviously, et cetera. Because frankly, the conservatives have never been committed enough to real journalism to have ever produced publications hmm. that have that kind of clout. Yeah. Um, The New York Times basically said this era was upon us with, of course, the arrival of Donald Trump. When there was an article published, which is where my my essay opens, they published an article that basically says, in the era of Donald Trump, how are you supposed to do fair coverage of a man this evil and this dishonest from their perspective? So they admitted that basically they weren't even going to try. 
And you could say that the same thing applies to other social movements and causes that they oppose, whether that's um, issues related to the right to life, issues related to the definition of marriage, issues related to a whole host of things that are critical and discussions of religion. Now, that was a long answer to your question, but all the news that fits is basically all the news that makes our trusted, faithful readers keep sending us money. Right, right. And uh, so we're saying, in a sense, that – would you say that we didn't need that before? We uh, we we could we could write unbiased journalism well, more readily. You know, I've never thought. I, I'm not going to sit here and argue that there was some sort of dream age of journalism. But uh-huh. as someone who's as as old as I am, a man of a certain age at this point, I did practice journalism and work in journalism during a time when people really cared about basic issues of balance, fairness, and accuracy. Does that mean they perfectly executed those beliefs? No, of course not. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and that affects everybody. But it's better to try. It's, it's better that you know what your goals are, and you're going to at least attempt to live by them, than it is to say, the rules are now gone. We no longer have to even pretend to be willing to show respect for people on both sides of heated issues. We're going to tell, we already know who we think is right, and we're going to steer our coverage in the direction that supports our tribe, our niche, our, our army in the cultural and political wars. Terry, can you can you uh, trace how this happened, where it came from? I, I think you started off by saying pretty much that it was the internet that caused this. But maybe yeah, let's go a little deeper into that. Well, you can say that we began to see the symptoms of this with the death of the two newspaper town. As we increasingly, we had major cities that no longer had multiple editorial points of view. And you can say, well, radio and television should have filled in those gaps. That's just not practical. During even in the glory days when you, you had lots and lots of ad dollars available in the late 60s and through the 70s before the internet, if you had only one newspaper in town, that newspaper was going to be producing 80 to 80% of the available information in your city because your typical radio station has two or three reporters and the typical TV station might have nine or 10, not counting sports reporters. You know, um, so it just, when, when this really showed as we moved into the internet era, when, you know, even when the internet was spraying stories all over the place, most of those stories were continuing to come from mainstream print newsrooms. So the lack of competition, I can tell you, I worked in one of the last great newspaper wars, and that was Denver, Colorado in the 1980s, Mm. the Denver Post versus the Rocky Mountain News. The Rocky eventually shut down and closed, um, not because it wasn't still competitive, 
but because it felt it could make more money in smaller newspapers in growing cities, mainly a chain of newspapers in Texas. That's more information than listeners need to know. But my point is when you existed in a two-newspaper town, people had options for where they went for their information, and thus your editors cared whether you were breaking new information and you were breaking information that people considered accurate. And it, it kind of empowered reporters to be able to walk up to their editors and say, hey, I have this story. The other paper doesn't have it. Let's run it tomorrow. That's different when there's only one newspaper and you walk up and say, I've got this story. It's a very important story. And your one editor, the only editor who counts in your whole city goes, Nah, doesn't sound like a story to me. Kill it. So wow. that's kind of the beginning of this what is news, who gets to have their news published, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The Internet was that mindset on steroids. Um, and in old eras, when we talked about media bias, we were primarily interested in the bias of editors. What people and what this essay is about is right now, the most important bias in journalism, functionally, is the bias of the readers, the paying mm. readers. Yeah. And how in the world do you measure the political views and worldview of subscribers? It's hard enough trying to figure out what journalists thought and believed. How how do you how do you do that? Yeah. How how do they how do they find that? Okay, let's put it this way. Who do you think is going to donate money to do the kind of in-depth surveys of the readers of the New York Times that you'd have to do? And how would you do that survey without the cooperation of the New York Times? And why would the New York Times dare to cooperate? The New York Times is going to do its own surveys, and the results are going to be secret so that they know how better to do their work and make money. And the, the Trump era – led to an explosion of subscriptions to the digital New York Times. I mean, they made, Donald Trump made them millions and millions of dollars. I mean, there's a whole school of paranoid cultural conservatism right now that thinks the media at the moment is doing everything they can to make Donald Trump the nominee of the Republican Party because, A, he's great for business. He's great for angering their subscribers and making yeah. them click and click forward and click send and copy and pay money and watch cable news all night here to hear their views reinforced. Trump is fantastic for that. Uh, and I should openly say I've been never Trump, never Hillary, never Trump, never Biden. I'm a third party voter at this time. I don't feel mm -hmm. like I have a political home anymore is I sit here under my portrait of Franklin Delano Roosevelt hanging on my wall. I, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm at least know enough historically to know kind of what the old Democratic coalition looked like back when Catholics and Baptists and all kinds of people were still in it. So how would you try to figure out the biases of viewers and readers? And this is one of the places where I'm going to have to tell you we don't know but it's one of the most important issues that mm. we face in a country that's as divided as we are. And I would argue we're largely divided by this political yeah. reality. 
in that article, I quoted a major evangelical pundit who is loved by some evangelicals and hated even more by others. I lived with constant death threats over the last four to five years, who is now a columnist for the New York Times, of all things, an evangelical columnist for the New York Times. And that, of course, is David French. Uh And French wrote a book uh, a year or two ago called Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. And he's literal. He's talking about not civil war with bullets as much as civil war with lawsuits and, most of all, woke capitalism and economic battles um, over who you market your products to and who you're willing to deal with. And this can be over things ranging from, oh, I don't know, ESPN, Disney, and the NCAA deciding that you can't have the final four in a state if they have bathroom laws protecting female privacy. That's a case from a couple of years ago. Right wow. now we're watching a heated cultural war over whether you can have uh, Dylan uh, – what's his name or her name? Uh, Mulvaney, is that the last name? The, and the Bud, White, the Bud Light campaign, the trans Bud mm-hmm. Light campaign. And we have a trans campaign to recruit people for the Navy right now. Hmm. Um, I mean, welcome to the age in which we live. Uh, there's no safe place from the reality of the divisions in our culture. David Ince opened his book, the very first sentence. Let me, let me just read a couple of sentences here. Part of this is paraphrase from his book. The bottom line, Americans are divided by their choices in news and popular culture, choosing to live in protective silos of digital content. America remains the developing world's most religious nation, yet its secularized elites occupy one set of zip codes while most religious believers live in another. These armies share no common standard about facts, accuracy, or fairness. And this devastating quote from French, it's time for Americans to wake up to the fundamental reality, the continued unity of the United States cannot be guaranteed. Wow. And then a couple of words down, there isn't a single important cultural, religious, political, or social force that is pulling Americans together more than it's pulling us apart. Wow. And yeah. the pur- purpose of my article is to say that, A, he's accurate. B, we better hope the Supreme Court at some point decides to defend the First Amendment and basic issues of federalism or or this turns into some sort of really divisive conflict in the culture, even more so. But that the economics of our news industry is driving us Hmm. further and further and further apart. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm thinking, Terry, is that, you know, we're – where do Christians fit into this thing? Because, you know, for so many years, uh, I've been concerned that Christians are all lining up on the conservative side and, uh, you know, blowing that one horn that maybe have some Christian, you know, messages uh, that are important, but also other ones that may be not important or even mm-hmm. fall in, in terms of following Jesus, you know? And uh, so I've been saying, you know, we, we've got to, 
we've got to speak the truth and and which ends up being more in the middle and uh, you know so what do we do now <laughs> there is no middle <laughs> well well there well there, there are issues though on which 2000 years of christian doctrine make it very clear where the church has stood and we're in an age when even those issues are now up for grabs. Hmm. I mean, and I would argue to some degree that in law, this begins with uh, Roe v. Wade. And now we have the fall of Roe v. Wade. But now that just puts it back into a state-by-state battle of what represents truth in different states, which unfortunately I believe is the constitutional reality in a secular republic like our own. You know, you get into battles over definition of marriage. Can you imagine trying to run public schools in an era this heated? You know, where in Canada we now have the state yeah. openly saying that the state should cooperate with efforts to hide students' sexual conduct and beliefs and whatever from their own parents because parents can't be trusted. That hmm. gets us into parental rights. Um, that You can flip that over the other side. I did in a tweet a couple of months ago, which made some people mad who contacted me privately because they didn't want to respond. I said, you know, if we believe in parental rights, is it okay for Episcopalians to take their children to drag shows? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, what if they believe that that's an essential part of their religious beliefs? Well, yeah, they're protected by the First Amendment. Okay, well, what about conservative Christian Jewish Muslim parents who don't want their children exposed to a lot of things that are now going on in public schools? Mm-hmm. That's a parental rights issue. And so here, this is the division that David French is talking about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know an answer to that. I will say that where I've been for years is a kind of an economic and political populism slash progressivism while remaining a moral and doctrinal religious conservative. Now, name me the political party that did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean I, as far as I'm concerned, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump are twin brothers. <laughs> um, you, know, they, you know, only Clinton, you know, tried to hide his foibles in a different way. It, we live in an era right now where Trump hates the First Amendment for one reason and Joe Biden hates it for others. The common enemy is the First Amendment and hmm. trying to get us to be tolerant and listen to the views of other people. Okay, well, where do you go right now to hear the views of other people? After the publishing of this essay, um, that's the question I've had more. It's a perfectly valid question, and I wish I knew an answer. The, yeah. the, the last sentence of my piece, um, the last paragraph of my piece, I should say, The sobering bottom line, when seeking journalism they can trust, perhaps even news that offers balance, accurate coverage of views other than their own, American citizens are now on their own as they search the World Wide Web. God help them. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Not a a very cheery ending. Yeah. That's where we are. Uh, Can you you give us... um, a little more something a little more definition about what we can do that's obviously yeah. the big question 
you know, that, yeah, that, yeah. I'm a fellow at the Overby Center, Ole Miss University, which is technically for the study of Southern journalism and culture, but it basically it's a, a center that revolves around the defense of kind of a traditional First Amendment liberalism, the old liberalism that, you know, not illiberalism that we have today in so many cases, but the old idea that you were supposed to listen to both sides and you were supposed to try right. to seek some sort of tolerance you know, on these kinds of disagreements. And I, I was down speaking to a, a forum in, at the Overby Center about two weeks ago. And after that, one of the leaders there said, Terry, you're going to have to do something for us that puts into print what it is you yourself am personally trying to do. So let me describe it for people. I tried. When I, when I got involved with Twitter – when I got started following Twitter, someone told me they said the key is to not follow everybody, to try to follow people that you believe they save you time instead of waste your time. And as we've gone further and further into this niche world era, I've recommended that people who are on Twitter find mm-hmm. 10 people online to follow that they believe – 10. Ten people who have basically the views that they have. In my case, like I said, that's kind of a moral conservatism who still favors an old-school First Amendment liberalism. Mm-hmm. You know, find ten people like that that you're willing to follow. And you know, I, could, I could give you some examples. You give me a second here to get to this in my, my email, email files. But David French would be an obvious example of somebody that I would put in that uh-huh. in, you know in that category. Uh-huh. I um I could I could name a whole lot of others. The Acton Institute, you know, gets in there. Um, I'm trying to come up with the right search term while simultaneously talking to you. This is not always easy. Um, <laughs> Kids are like performing without a net. Um, <laughs> here you go. I, fi- I found it. People on the old kind of kind of the what I would call the open-minded, complex right. Robert George, the great constitutional thinker at Princeton, falls into that quarter category for me. Rod Dreher falls into that category. Uh, a Southern Baptist thinker I respect a lot is Dan Darling. And another one would be Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, I follow Brad Wilcox at the Center for Marriage and Family uh, at the University of Virginia. He does tremendous work. Marvin Olasky of World Magazine would make this list for me, and I I could go on to some others. Meanwhile, I have a list of people that I say I would consider them the old left. These people are clearly liberal. Even on moral and social issues where we would radically disagree with each other on some things, mm-hmm. maybe not all of these people, but they're pro-First Amendment, and they're reading people that are giving me information. They're pointing me toward publications and sources and shows that point me toward information that may conflict with what I believe, but it's worth reading. And this would be everyone from the organization Democrats for Life 
to the day, writer and thinker Andrew Sullivan, and another one, Glenn Greenwald. Uh, Barry Weiss, the lesbian Jewish New York person who ran away from the New York Times and has now started an online publication called The Free Press. The, mm-hmm. the liberal Catholic priest Jim Martin. Uh, David Weir, W-E-A-R, who used to be the religious outreach director for Barack Obama. Even someone like J.K. Rowling, you know, who's a liberal yeah. Anglican and who is now hated by the trans movement because she believes women are women, which kind of, you know, being pro-women's rights and stuff like that, people used to know what that meant. Um, mm-hmm. And I could, I could give you a couple of more of those, but you see what I'm doing. When I follow yeah. these people, I'm not automatically agreeing with them on everything. But what I have found is that they point me toward information I'm not getting in the mainstream press Yeah, most of the time. And they're, they're pointing me, they're giving me points of view that don't automatically fit in one of our media niches. And I'm also, of course, following people that, with very few exceptions, are some variety of Christian voice or at least a voice that favors some kind of religious tradition and thinks religion is a crucial part of our world. Yeah. Um, So that's what I'm trying to do. So every day when I, I scan Twitter, usually twice a day, I look through the people I follow. Uh, probably adding up to a total of about 30 minutes. But these people are constantly pointing me toward articles that I need to see, documents Mm. that I need to see, speeches that took place that I didn't know took place if I didn't follow them. And that helps me as a columnist, but I would also argue that it helps me as a citizen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, what about the category of people – who are Christians uh, more on the right of things, but also open-minded enough to to lean towards yeah. that part of liberalism. Well, that was my first list. That I mean, was your Robert first George. list. Okay. Yeah, that's Robert George, okay. David French. Another voice, Kristen Wagner, who's the head of the Alliance for uh, Defending Freedom. Um, uh-huh. Anthony Sacramone, who was the editor of the Acton publication, Religion and Liberty, that I wrote that piece for. Tim Carney, another crucial voice um, at the Washington Examiner. Uh, I'm a fan of the journalist Mark Hemingway, who is the husband of the um, Fox commentator Molly Ziegler Hemingway. I think Mark Hemingway is one of the most underappreciated reporters in the Washington press corps. The common denominator between what I call my complex right list and my okay. old liberal list. The common denominator is defense of the First Amendment and okay. a willingness to listen to people on the other side of issues. That's what unites my two lists. Um, so, no, I'm not listening to a lot of people in the most strident parts of our media on either the left or the right. I guess I run into them through these uh-huh. other people. And kind of, but I use these people as a kind of a moral, trying to stay sane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In, in the craziness of this current culture, 
I'm uh, interested in people who point me toward information that I can then read for myself and try to try to work my way through these crazy fights that are at the middle of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, that David French quote you started about that, that uh, there's nobody in the middle. Uh, there's nobody to pulling America together. Um, it seems to me that when we ask the question, what do we do? That's probably us. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but what, what's, your, what's your mechanism for doing that? Yeah. At the, at the level of the Internet, at the level of right. billion-dollar digital realities, at the level of advertising, at the level uh, of political I campaigns. See. I see like, what you, you know the yeah. old you, you know the old thing when the media was convinced that 81% of all white evangelicals just love Donald Trump? No, that was who voted for him in a, in a, between him and Hillary Clinton. You can't look at the last five years of evangelical life without seeing how real the divisions are on political strategy and mm. on, on COVID even. I mean, we couldn't even be united in how we fighted, fought COVID. Right. Yet, evangelicalism, especially at the level of fundraising and our major institutions, is terribly divided right now. And even the press has started to kind of acknowledge that to some degree. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to give you a whole lot of happy, shiny, smiling faces stuff right now. Yeah. The, the Internet is the most powerful force in our culture right now. Screen culture. You're walking around with the Internet in your pocket. And mm-hmm. the impact on young people, that's a whole other issue. The impact yeah. of this screen culture on teenagers and young adults, the skyrocketing levels of anxiety and worry yes. and gender, gender yeah. confusion and everything else, all of which skyrocketed those numbers did right with the release of the iPhone. What yeah. a coincidence. Hmm. Um, um, that's yeah. a topic for another day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's part of the same discussion. Well, Terry, you've <laughs> taken this. You've taken us through some really uh, rough waters, and uh, uh, you could say it's scary, but it's exciting at the same time. That uh, we are here to we're here to stay involved. That's the main thing. And uh, you know, I, I I think the temptation as we get older is just ah, oh, what the heck? It's it's all gonna it's all gonna burn anyway. You know, and and I just don't think we can do that. I think we are called to continue to think through what it means yeah. to be a person of faith in the real world that we live. You, you could search scripture all you want, and you will hmm. not find a biblical case, apathy, or nihilism. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have a point. God who rules from the cross. That's not mm. our world's view of victory. <laughs> oh, Terry, thanks for helping us think. Um, our time's <laughs> up, but this has been wonderful. I appreciate it so much. And uh, gosh, we'll, we'll have you again 
next year. <laughs> if okay. not before. I look forward to talking to you again and we still have to do that that entire episode just on acoustic guitar prejudice <laughs> string choices. That'll be another time. Okay. Okay, Jerry. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Wow. Well there you go, folks. That was to the catch. I'm, I'm swimming in the deep water here. Pretty exciting. I gotta hear this again. Encourage you to hear it again too. Help me think through all this. Don't run away. We're here for you. God bless. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.